This is the Historian's Podcast, and it's a pleasure to welcome Bruce Deerstein to the program. How are you doing, Bruce? I'm doing very well, thank you. Bruce Deerstein, Dr. Deerstein, served on the staff of the New York State Office of State History and State Archives. He was a professor, now an adjunct professor, at the University of Maryland's College of Information Studies. He's written widely about New York history and occasionally writes about New York history issues for the Sunday Albany Times Union. He lives in one of the suburbs of Albany. Uh, Bruce Deerstein is the author of two books published last year, The Spirit of New York, Defining Events in the Empire State's History, and also Leading the Historical Enterprise, Strategic Creativity, Planning, and Advocacy for the Digital Age. He often writes for the New York History blog and recently penned a piece entitled Five Opportunities to Promote New York History. And that's what we're going to talk about with Bruce Deerstein today. The, the, your first opportunity, I mean, I must have been living under a rock or something. I never heard of this. Uh, ah. It's uh, Well, anyway, let, let me just give it the topic, uh, turn, Washington's spies. Uh, what, what's going on there? Well, that's actually been on for, uh, for three years. It's it's a fictionalized uh, story uh, about something that actually happened, and that was a ring of spies in Setauket, Long Island, and New York City. Uh, it seems like an odd combination, mm-hmm. but it just uh, happened to be that way. And uh, these people passed on intelligence uh, to George Washington uh, about British uh, troop movements and troop strength in New York City. And... This has actually been written up a couple of times by historians, and then in turn, a little bit of a play on words there, <laughs> uh, AMC picked it up and, and put up a fictionalized series, which they call Turn Washington Spies. Uh, what I wrote about was the fact that while this is mostly a New York story, some northern New Jersey and southern Connecticut, a little bit in, in um, Philadelphia, it's filmed entirely in Virginia. Isn't that something? Uh, except for Long Island Sound, which is beautiful, but digital. <laughs> so the things you see, which are represented as being in New York, are actually uh, uh, 18th century makeovers uh, by the, um, the producers of the film, uh, Richmond, Virginia, and elsewhere in Virginia. So uh, that's, uh, that's uh, the, the first thing. But the second thing is that the Virginia Heritage Tourism folks have placed their own ads there about, if you want to learn more about the revolution, come to, not New York, where this took place, but Virginia. <laughs> Dear. And so they've been, they've been very good at that. They're very effective. So uh, if you click on, uh, if you go on the website, you click on that, you're directed to places like Colonial Williamsburg, wonderful places. They have wonderful programs in Virginia. But... New York, in a sense, is kind of missing out here because this is our history. Right. <laughs> it's, not, it's not Virginia's history. So that's the, uh, the first uh, opportunity that I wrote about. I've written about this uh, before a couple of times. Uh, this would be easy for New York through the path through history, our very good heritage program here in New York, uh, to take out some ads on this next year, because I think there will be a, at least one more year. Um, uh, calling attention to New York's revolutionary history. Yeah, the Battle of so. Saratoga and, and, and the sites where this actually took place, 
course, now now changed a whole lot uh, to talk at Long Island and New York City. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is this television program, historical dramas on AMC, right? Yes, it's on AMC. And, right. and again, I hate to be so dense, but turn means that these people were turned against the crown. Is that how the well? Point of that, y- y- well, y- some, some. I mean, they some of these folks were turned against the crown. They they changed sides. They. Uh, they're patriots one day and they're they're loyalists the next and they're coerced and so on and so it's 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 more like a continuous turning if you if you will but that's actually the way it happened in in the revolution as as you know it was it was hard to choose a side and stay with it because things were so fluid and and so and so changing Mm. But yeah, that's what it means. Turn. Right? But didn't these did these spies come up with the evidence against uh, Benedict Arnold ultimately? Is, or no? uh, yeah. Well, yeah. yes. They they, they enabled um, uh, Washington's intelligence uh, people uh, to put together what Arnold had done just a little bit too late because uh, Arnold Arnold got away. Uh, in the case of Arnold, it was piecing together a lot of uh, impressionistic evidence that people already had about him being uh, dissatisfied, which he, which he was, being in debt, which he was, being kind of a brilliant but resentful fellow, which, which he was, <laughs> and then some other more concrete evidence about uh, what Major Andre had been up to uh, and the fact that he had been to West Point, conspired with Arnold, uh, uh, left, and was in this story. I don't know if this is well known or not, but was making his way on foot along the Hudson River when he was captured, and that that was in the last episode or the next last episode of, of the um, TV series this spring. Captured by New York military scouts, played of course by Virginians. <laughs> in his boot, he carried plans and documents about the fortifications at West Point which Benedict Arnold had just given him as part of his plan to, to betray the Patriot cause and turn uh, West Point, which was not the military academy yet, but a very strong fort, uh, over to the British. And these documents themselves, the originals, are actually in the New York State Archives, where, oh. where I used to work. So it's another New York connection, but you, you, you wouldn't really know it because the Virginians have done such a good job with it. And it's so interesting you know, to think about Washington spies, the intelligence establishment. I mean, we, we think of the powdered wigs and the breeches and, and so forth, but uh, they did many of this, they, the same things we, we do um, or our governments do today. Well, that's true. Uh, the, the, this particular ring of spies, though, was a... They were kind of amateurs, and they were a group of people who'd grown up together. They were kids together, teenagers together, grown up together, mostly men, uh, at least one one woman involved. Uh, and one wound up in New York City, and some wound up with Washington, and one one or two stayed in Setauket. And they sort of got together surreptitiously as the war went on and decided they weren't going to stand for what was happening in New York, Setauket was uh, one of many places in New York, in that region of New York, occupied by the British. Uh, pretty harsh conditions, very harsh represented in the uh, in the show itself. And so they worked out among themselves uh, mm-hmm. how to gather information in New York City and then pass it on, including uh, using uh, uh, codes, by the way, uh, coded letters, and disappearing ink. 
so it's it's quite a it's quite a story. This has been written up a couple of times by historians, and one of the best books is a book by Alexander Rose called Washington Spies. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are a couple of others as well, and of course we don't know everything that these these folks were doing because a they were spies and b they didn't leave behind much by way of a written record, but. Uh, Rose and others have pieced this together pretty well, and then the producers of, of the series, of course, piece it out, extend it out with, with fiction. Mm-hmm. And they put in you know, some romantic attachments that probably didn't exist, and a lot of dramatic events, a number of dramatic events that probably didn't take place quite the way uh, they, they say. And they also put into this uh, a fellow named Robert Rogers of Rogers Rangers, uh, who was um, uh, m- more prominent in the colonial wars, but also active in the Revolutionary War, uh, acting on behalf of the of the British. But they put him into the center of some of these uh, very exciting events, where he really wasn't. He was somewhere else. But <laughs> it, it makes for, at least to me I'm, and 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 you and folks like us who were interested in history. Right. makes for a very interesting uh, uh, series. Yeah, it sounds it. I have to watch that. Um, that's your first uh, point on five opportunities to promote a New York history. You have the uh, State of New York Tourism uh, Program advertised on Washington Spies. Your second point is something that really is uh, big in modern, I don't know, popular culture, and that is Alexander Hamilton, who uh, had a lot to do with New York State. Well, yes. All, all of a sudden, Alexander Hamilton has kind of come surging uh, out of out of history, not because of historians uh, and there's there are excellent books on him, including Ron Chernow's uh, biography, just called Alexander Hamilton, but because of this uh, spectacularly successful play on Broadway called just called Hamilton by Lin Manuel Miranda, which. Uh, astoundingly enough, won a Pulitzer Prize and 14 Tonys is <laughs> unheard of. And uh, it's almost impossible to get tickets to the play, but there is a, a book out which uh, uh, Miranda and a colleague assembled called Hamilton, the Revolution, which has got the libretto in it, meaning all the words and, and a lot of pictures and so on. So you can get a pretty good sense of what's, of what's in it. And uh, this has got a lot of attention, a lot of publicity. Uh, Hamilton, the uh, aide to Washington, Hamilton, Secretary of Treasury, etc. Fair enough. But as is often the case, there's a New York story here. Most of the work here was done in New York City. Uh, he married Elizabeth Schuyler, the uh, daughter of uh, New York's great general and Revolutionary War leader and, and land magnate Philip Schuyler. New York delegate to the Continental Congress, later to the Constitutional Convention. Uh, he wrote some of the Federalist Papers, did that in New York, and began his work, as Washington did, in New York City, which for a while was the capital of the nation. So uh, the only reason I, I, I pushed this in, in the history blog and other things I wrote is, here's the tension for us to see once again. Look here, folks, this guy's a New Yorker. Right. He's, right. A, he's a great American, but he's a New Yorker. And I would I would go further when say and he's got that New York edge to him. He's very <laughs> confident. He won't be stopped. He doesn't want to compromise. Uh, he he uh, uh, sometimes I think to his detriment 
uh, didn't realize that he was engendering opposition and people like Aaron Burr, for instance, who, who later who later killed him. But there, there's a New York story here, and all I'm saying is it would be useful just to capitalize on that uh, as we can. And it's, I often write in this vein. I see things that are happening uh, right now in the news, and I, we, we could say, wait, wait a minute, this has happened before, and there's something we can learn. For instance, we're going to have, it looks like, two New Yorkers running for president. Mm-hmm. Well. That's interesting, exciting stuff. No, not that the is. first time it's happened. Yeah, in fact, I'm going to get that point in a moment, but just okay. another aside on Hamilton. I, I'm quite sure that the Schuyler Mansion uh, folks uh, are capitalizing on that. Haven't they had some programs? I mean, that's in Albany. I mean, he's a uh, married uh, woman actually from Albany, and I, and the, the Schuyler Mansion is, is there as an historic site. I, I, absolutely, sure. The Schuyler Mansion State Historic Sites in Albany, that was um, uh, Schuyler's home, which he uh, uh, built and where he, his daughter grew up. And uh, uh, I think she and Hamilton were married there. I'm not sure. I think they were yeah, married in Albany somewhere. Yeah, I think that was so, somewhere. yeah. And, sure, uh, I, don't, I should say, I should know this, but I don't know exactly what, what they're doing. They do some excellent programs there. Uh, but I, I guess I, I, I think I'd say again, Things like this, we, we could probably do more as a as a historical community. Call attention back to New York. I mean, that's a lot. A lot of my work in my in my book on New York State history. That's what I'm trying to do. Um, trying to get people to realize that, uh, how much important history mm-hmm. happened in New York or started here in New York. And then on to your your next point uh, with five opportunities to promote New York uh, history. First with Washington spies you were talking about, and then Alexander Hamilton. Uh, when New Yorkers run for president, and right now we have two people with kind of New York claims uh, uh, running for president. Hillary Clinton lives in New York. Donald Trump is a, a native New Yorker, and you make the the point that. That's remarkable that they're both from New York and one of them is going to be president. But um, this has happened before with New Yorkers uh, running for president. Well, yeah, if you look back uh, uh, through the 20th century and back to the 19th century, you look at president or vice president, oftentimes there's a New Yorker on the ticket. <laughs> there is uh, running for president, running for vice president, which is, is probably not surprising. But uh, this is the second time... Uh, since 1900 when this has happened. The first time was uh, Chief Judge Alton B. Parker versus Theodore Roosevelt in 1904. And the second time was Governor Thomas E. Dewey versus uh, Franklin D. Roosevelt by then President in 1944. Hmm. There's possibly a third one, which is 1940, when Wendell Wilkie ran against Franklin Roosevelt. Now, Wendell Wilkie was living in New York City. He's living on Fifth Avenue in New York City had been for quite a while, uh, was well-known in, in New York City. Uh, in fact, was having an affair in New York City. <laughs> but he chose to run as an Indiana guy because that's where he had grown up, and he choose, cho- that's where he began his campaign, and he represented himself as being a Midwesterner. So you can count that as three times New Yorkers running against each other for president if you want to, but... If you don't, you've at least got two two solid cases: uh, Parker versus Theodore Roosevelt and Dewey versus Franklin Roosevelt. Well, certainly it, it is an important state. Uh, but let me go after what you said about Wilkie—that he 
had lived in New York City, but uh, ran, uh, emphasized his Indiana roots. People run from New York, but also they run against New York. Like when when Trump was in the primaries, that was one of the uh, the clubs they tried to hit him with was that oh he's got New York. Uh, I think it was it Ted Cruz is he's got New York yeah. values, you know. And uh, there is that sense that a lot of people around the country don't like New York. That that's that's certainly true, and that engendered quite a bit of uh, of controversy. And what what Cruz is trying to get at was, well, you know, New York is a pretty liberal place, and uh, they do things different from the rest of the country. But a lot of people uh, said that was unfair, including me, and I've I've actually written something about this too. And a number of people came back and said, look, if you want to know about New York, look at nine eleven. This is the real New York. Uh, never give up. Very resilient. Lots of courage. In fact, Trump himself, I think, made that uh, made that response. So, New York values, quote unquote, uh, uh, which is the term Cruz used in, in a pejorative, derogatory way, are, I think, more fairly characterized as things like uh, uh, pride in history. Uh, resilience, uh, determination, uh, leadership, uh, things of that sort. Mm. And you go back in history, and I, I'm just sort of scrambling for this stuff. I mean, and you can find historic sites around that reflect uh, New York and uh, the presidency. You know, for example, Hyde Park of of FDR yeah. and Oyster Bay uh, for for Theodore Roosevelt, but also what um, Martin Van Buren was from Kinderhook right. and Grover right. Cleve. Go ahead. No, go ahead. You're, no, you're, no, you're right. Uh, Grover Cleveland was from uh, Western New York, Buffalo. I don't believe he has a site, but uh, a lot of a lot of important uh, American political leaders came from uh, came from New York. And of course, you you mentioned uh, FDR, great site in in, in Hyde Park, uh, the Theodore Roosevelt site in Long Island, uh, another National Park Service site, recently renovated, by the way. So even more interesting and exciting than it used to be. And Martin Van Buren, uh, right down the road from where I am and not far from where you are, in Kinderhook. Mm -hmm. And people just sometimes forget that that's there, but he was not only an important president, but he was um, uh, vice president under uh, Andrew Jackson and is sort of the -the behind-the-scenes architect of the uh, Democratic Party. Mm. Uh, Jackson and Van Buren together kind of invented the Democratic Party. Uh, back in the uh, uh, in the 18, uh, late 1820s, 1830s, and so on. So, very very important, yeah. very important guy. Not much uh, featured in, in uh, accounts of American history, and oftentimes not regarded as one of the best uh, presidents, but still an important figure. And New Yorker, New York's also home to some little known uh, presidents, such as wasn't it Millard Fillmore from Buffalo and. Uh, it, I don't know about Chester Arthur being from New York, but he went to Union College, I believe. Right. Yep. Right. No, he was from he was from New York. Uh, he was actually uh, when he went on as uh, vice president, uh, he had the uh, position of collector of uh, tariffs at the Port of New York, which you think, well, how could you get on a national ticket from such a site as that? But back in those days, that was a very important position because the government got a lot of money. Uh, from the uh, the tolls and tariffs and things that came into uh, the port of New York. So, yeah, those are are two more 
good examples of uh, of important New Yorkers. Uh, I, I know the 20th century a little better, so I've written a little more about the uh, 20th century uh, people. But New York is arguably the nation's uh, most historically significant state over the course of history. Hmm. All right. For the people here, for the things that sort of started out here, uh, and then spread uh, across the country uh, for the uh, political developments and reforms that uh, took root here and then spread across the country. Uh, and we don't always get our due because we are, I don't think we're quite as good at telling our story as Pennsylvania, Virginia, Massachusetts, huh. and so on. Right. Well, in fact, one of your points of five opportunities to promote New York history is we should celebrate New York's birthday, which we do not do. Well, yes, we should. Uh, and uh, New York State's birthday, not the colony, but the state, uh, is April 22nd, 1777. That's the day the first state constitution was finished and promulgated, though it was actually written and signed two days earlier, April 20th. So like the U.S. Uh, Declaration of Independence, you could choose one of two dates, but I think April 22nd is the better of the two because that's the day it was publicly proclaimed in Kingston, New York, and that's the day, arguably, that New York State was, was born. So this passes every year. People don't do much about it. State government doesn't do much about it. Uh, doesn't do anything about it, really. But next year not only the 240th anniversary of New York State, but also a year in which presumably we will be talking a lot about constitutional issues because there will be a vote in the fall uh, on what to hold another constitutional convention. So mm. this would be a great time to go back and look at the process by which we got the first uh, state constitution and what was in it and how they did it and you know, this was a it's a very short, relatively short document, and it begins uh, by embodying the Declaration of Independence. Hmm. In, interestingly enough, but if you if you disregard that, because it's very we, we very common to us today, the document itself is only about five thousand words. So it, that's not a very long document, but it, it stood the test of time and wasn't uh, revised until 1821. Hmm. So. Here's something written on the fly. Uh, these these uh, guys who wrote it, and they were all men, as it turned out, uh, had come up. They retreated from New York City to White Plains to Fishkill to Kingston as the British kind of uh, harassed them and, and, and menaced them, uh, wrote this on the fly in Kingston. And one of the interesting things about it is this, this, this incidentally, is another document in the State Archives. The original version has cross-outs and marginal things written in the margin. They were in such a hurry that they didn't have time to make a clean copy before they, they promulgated it. Huh. So it's written on, it's a, it's a dramatic document written, uh, written on the fly, and it's something that uh, you can, if you Google it, you can, you can read it on, online these days, and you can understand it. Hmm. And we're... Uh... Running uh, short on time, with sure, a few minutes sorry. left, uh, we're talking with Bruce uh, Deerstein about uh, five opportunities to promote New York history. And your last point in this uh, New York history blog piece was supporting leadership of the state's historical enterprise. 
Yes. Yeah, I've got a couple of points there. Uh, but the, the main one is we have a new state historian appointed in, uh, in uh, June, uh, Devin Lander. Uh, lots of experience, came from the uh, Museum Association of New York, uh, off to a running start. Uh, he's already beginning to assemble an advisory group. He's going to set up a uh, website, uh, both very positive initiatives, and he's already talking about doing an agenda which I think is, is a very important thing for us to have in New York because we have so many robust, interesting historical programs here, but we're splintered. We don't, we don't pull together. So I think what Devin's going to try to do is get the whole of, of New York's historical enterprise mm-hmm. together, pulling in the same direction. And I do want to mention or make people know we're aware that there's been a controversy over not him so much as uh, how he was uh, appointed by uh, Governor Cuomo's administration. And he, uh, in the opinion of many local historians, he reports to too many people or he's not uh, in an autonomous enough position. Well, that's complicated, Bob. Actually, it's the uh, it's in the education department. So the appointment uh, came from the Commissioner of Education and, and the Regents. Now, maybe the governor had some influence over it. If so, I don't, I don't know. So he is in the State Museum, and he reports to someone who then reports to the Assistant Commissioner for the State Museum. But he replaces someone, a fellow named Bob Weigel, who in effect was chief curator of the State Museum, uh, history in the State Museum, and state historian. Bob had two jobs in one, I, I think. Now they've separated that. So Devin is solely devoted to being state historian. Not at as high a level as a lot of folks might have liked, but uh, here, here he is, new, new, new person, full-time state historian. Uh, I think we, we need to move on, and um, all of us who are interested in history need to give him our advice and counsel and give him a chance to get his bearings and just see what he's going to do. Mm-hmm. Having said that, yeah, you're right. There has been some controversy. It's been written up in the Albany Times Union, among other places. Uh, and, and I think that springs from people wanting leadership. <laughs> uh, people uh, who, who are enthusiastic about New York State history just want leadership at the state level. They want more support at the state level. They sense all of the potential that we have in New York State and local history, and they want to find a way to, to actualize that, to make that happen. Mm. So there has been a little a little controversy. I believe that's now passed. I think we need to get behind Devin and see what he's going to do. And a final point, uh, you, you were writing in the New York History blog, and you, I think it's a good time to consider contributing to the support of the New York History blog. They have an ongoing uh, online fundraising campaign. Absolutely. Uh, For your readers or listeners who don't know about this, there is a thing called the New York History Blog. You can Google it and and, uh, you can find it. This is the place to look for discussions of what's going on in the history community, programs, issues, occasionally controversies. It's run by an excellent uh, editor named John Warren, uh, but it doesn't have any particular funding sources. And so uh, John is trying to keep this going out of his own initiative and energy and time, by the way, mostly. A little bit of advertising, but trying to raise some money online. So, yeah, it's easy to contribute to it. 
you can just go on there. Uh, there's a place where you can click and, and make a donation. Well, Dr. Bruce Deerstein, I thank you very much uh, for joining us today. He's uh, on the New York History blog with his latest article, Five Opportunities to Promote New York History. Thank you very much for joining us, Bruce. Thank you. Bye now.